0: Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Facebook. Today is Friday, October 30th. Stocks are down, the Texas vote total is up, and we're focused on how hospitals will handle the new COVID surge. Bend the curve. Remember that line from back in March and April? The basic idea was that COVID-19 might spread so fast that it would overwhelm hospitals forcing healthcare workers to make gut-wrenching decisions. In some cases, the curve did not bend fast enough and hospitals did run out of beds. Many made extra space by doing things like suspending elective surgeries, which are the procedures that most hospitals rely upon for profits, thus ultimately leading them to ask for and receive bailouts in the CARES Act. Why all of this matters is that we are now in the midst of a new coronavirus spike including in parts of the country that were largely spared in the spring. Cases and positivity rates are both up. So are hospitalizations and deaths, more than 1000 of them yesterday. It is quite possible that we once again will need to bend the curve or else face the horrific consequences. So we want to dig into what hospitals have learned in the past nine months and how things might be different this time around with the CEO of one of America's largest hospital chains that conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Lloyd Dean, CEO of Common Spirit Health, which operates over 140 hospitals and another 700 healthcare sites. If we are hitting another surge from an operations perspective, what are the big lessons you learned from the spring that you think could make things run at least a bit more smoothly
1: this fall? We've learned a lot of lessons. Number one, let me just start with, a lot of attention was given to PPE. And throughout uh, the nation, healthcare enterprises have learned that it's very important that not only do we stockpile resources, but that we have the logistics almost down to a science so that we can move products and uh, needed uh, resources from one place to another. Number two, is around testing, the importance of the increasing that capacity to an extent. An example, we built our own lab, so we're doing 10,000 uh, tests a day. Uh, staffing, the importance of flexibility to be able to uh, staff up and staff down uh, within our facilities. Virtual care is now playing a more uh, significant role. We are doing and seeing uh, systems and hospitals around the country doing thousands of visits each day. And the other important lesson is that we've got to work with others in the community and integrate and coordinate care because we can't do it all.
0: Are you confident, based on the numbers you're seeing and the trend lines that those numbers suggest, are you confident that hospitals in the U.S. shouldn't have PPE shortages this time around as so many of them did back in March?
1: I think that you will find a significant increased in the available resources and access to PPE, as opposed to how we were caught at the beginning of the pandemic. All hospitals and healthcare entities have been anticipating that there would possibly be a convergence of the virus with the flu. So I think those preparations that, you know, in the aggregate, I think we're in much better shape than we were.
0: You also mentioned staffing. You guys have you know over a hundred hospitals. Some are urban, some are rural. It's pretty hard to predict where it will get really bad or where it might not be as bad. How flexible is your staff? Can you move them, you know, from one facility a hundred miles or fifty miles somewhere else, if need be?
1: I mean, fortunately, as you referenced, we have the capability to do that. But that goes back to my comment about we've got to be able to work with others in the communities. One of the things that we learned in hotspots throughout the United States that of the importance of sharing staff, not just within our system, but from one uh, hospital across the street with another one to be able to meet the needs of the community. It is complex. It does take a lot of planning to staff up and to staff down. But I think that, again, the sector has learned the importance of having flexibility with uh, staffing, and have garnered resources where we can call upon those as uh, needed.
0: You know, one of the things we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, and really kind of for the first, say, third of where we've been so far, was that lots of hospitals and other healthcare facilities stopped providing a lot of elective procedures, both preventative and some things that really weren't, and which caused two things. One, it caused a major drain of finances on hospitals. And two, some people who should have been seen by doctors didn't get seen by doctors and therefore their conditions worsened. Do you expect that we will see that again, that hospitals will say, you know what, we've got to hold on to our beds for potential COVID patients. All we're dealing with for the most part is COVID and other emergencies.
1: I think that you're going to see a combination. We are hopeful that we're not going to see those acute kinds of shutdowns that we had. I mean, the economic impact of that was devastating to uh, hospitals and to health systems. And I think we now have the tools, the knowledge, the diagnosis to be able to better manage so we're not going to have to do those complete kinds of uh, shutdowns.
0: You know, one of the things, you know, in the original CARES Act, the big federal stimulus, hospitals were a piece of that. Do hospitals need to be part of a second stimulus if there ever is a second stimulus?
1: Oh, I think unequivocally, hospitals are going to need uh, some help from the federal government. And uh, we've been uh, advocating that there's things that the government can do. Number one, forgiveness of the accelerated Medicare payments, additional staff hospital funding, liability protection, Medicaid protection, and uh, reimbursement for telehealth. So, yes, I see that need. And while uh, hospitals have climbed back in terms of their elective uh, surgeries, Very few hospitals are back to where they were prior to the pandemic, and we are continuing being challenged by uh, staffing up and uh, moving elective kinds of things in a different way than we normally would. So no, we need that uh, support, and I see that need even increasing as we potentially go into the flu season.
0: Lloyd, one of the things we've seen and you've written about with this pandemic have been the inequities and the disparities in outcome, particularly when it comes to things like race. What can hospital and healthcare providers do to try to narrow that gap outside of public policy?
1: Number one is to ensure that the communities that we are blessed to be able to serve, that we are making sure that they have access, that uh, we are creating an environment where they feel comfortable uh, that they're going to be treated fairly, justly, and equally, demand that we have services in the communities that are serving the most vulnerable and all ethnicities, and to advocate uh, for resources uh, so that people can feel that they're not going to be embarrassed or shamed because they have no methodology of paying for their health services.
0: NPR reported, I think it was today, that Uh, Department of Health and Human Services, is collecting national data on hospitalizations, but isn't widely circulating that data. Obviously, you have information on what's happening within your facilities. How confident are you that you have a pretty good sense of what's happening at other facilities, including in the same markets that you're in?
1: I think that varies from market to market, state to state. I think, you know, I'm based here in California. I think that the California Health organizations have come together and we are sharing data. Uh, So I'm pretty comfortable here, but I think we can improve. And I think that, you know, the states, many of the states have seen the importance of being able to have their finger on the pulse of that data. So I'm pretty confident that we will have enough data to do what we need to do, but I don't think that we've perfected it yet.
0: Final question for you. If you had the president, the Speaker of the House, and Senate Majority Leader McConnell in a room and they said to you, Lloyd, we will do exactly one thing that you want us to do, we won't even ask questions, let's do one thing. What's the one thing you would want the federal government to do right now?
1: To mandate mask. to uh, mandate that uh, there will be pressure to ensure uh, the safety of our population by advocating for Uh, social distancing, um, mask, 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 because I think that is the one universal thing uh, that is free and that people can do to not only help ensure their safety, but the safety of communities and others.
0: Lloyd Dean, CEO of Common Spirit Health, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Texas, Where the early vote total has now surpassed the entire Texas vote total from 2016, with more than 9 million ballots already cast. Texas is the second such state to do so, following Hawaii. In terms of Texas, it's unclear who the early surge will help the most, although the polling suggests that the traditionally red state will at least be competitive. Were Joe Biden to win Texas? Traditional battleground states like Pennsylvania and Florida? Well, they wouldn't matter so much. Today we are also watching some stock market disconnect on the one hand stocks are having their worst single week since early march when pandemic fears first took hold on the other ipos continue to boom earlier this week it was startup auto insurer root and pool supplies company leslie's then last night chinese online lender lufax raised 2.4 billion dollars in what was the year's second largest u.s ipo the bottom line Airbnb and DoorDash are watching carefully and they must like what they see. Finally, we will be watching the presidential campaign's final weekend. For Joe Biden, it'll be highlighted by his first joint public appearance with former President Obama as the pair hit Michigan. President Trump, meanwhile, will spend his Saturday in Pennsylvania. Overall, Biden has done far fewer public events than his Trump, which either will pay off because voters appreciate his COVID caution or will be the source of four years of Democratic Party second-guessing. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great Halloween weekend. And we'll be back Monday with another Axios Recap.